I think if we can change something as small as dropping a piece of chewing gum on the ground, then actually we have a platform to change much bigger things when it comes to waste and litter in our environment. It's an age-old question. Can you do well by doing good? Welcome to the Grow for Good podcast, where we speak with leaders who strive to make a positive impact on the world. Here's the host of the Grow for Good podcast, Jed Morey. Signs, signs, everywhere signs. Some of the most inspiring innovations happen when curiosity seekers read the signs that are all around us. The things that most of us see and either don't think twice about or assume that it's just simply too daunting to tackle. Anna Bullis saw the signs everywhere. Those little white specks ground into the pavement and sidewalks or maybe stuck to the bottom of your shoe. Gum. I think it's fair to say that few things in this world give both simple joy to most people and cause disgust when it's discarded. Gumdrop was born when Anna Bullis wondered just how much gum was discarded and whether there was a way to give it a, quote, second life. Not necessarily a question you might expect from someone who studied three-dimensional design in college. But that part will make sense in a moment. These are the Grow For Good stories we've come to cherish, and I know you will too when you hear Anna's story and how she's creating a second life for one of the most universal products in the world. Hey, it's Jed Morey from Morey Creative Studios, back with another inspiring episode of Grow For Good. And as always, I encourage you to also check out our social justice podcast, Newsbeat. Search Newsbeat in your preferred platform. And let's get on with the uh, show. This week, I am joined by Anna Bullis, founder of Gumdrop, a company that, as you heard in the introduction, is quite possibly one of the most unique entrepreneurial experiments that we have seen yet. Anna, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Okay, Anna. It's often the case when we interview entrepreneurs on this show that the idea for their company started with some sort of simple observation that grew into an obsession and culminated in this life's journey as a business. That is certainly the case with Gumdrop. You saw something that we all see, and yet you turned it around in your mind to form a surprising and unique solution. So let's set the table for everyone. Can you tell everybody about the moment that this idea sort of formed in your mind? So it was, it was some time ago. I was at university, uh, Brighton University, and I was studying three-dimensional design. I was incredibly passionate um, about design, um, the environment, um, and at the time, I specialised in plastics. So we had um, we had an end-of-year pr- uh, project where I was looking at curbside litter and just researching sort of what the different litters were, what people were doing with them, whether there are any initiatives available to actually recycle those litters. And I was walking home from uh, university one day and I decided to pick up all of the litter that I came across on my way home. And when I got home, I decided that I would Google and I would just see what people were doing with them. And one of the things that I found was a piece of chewing gum. And I thought, hmm, what, what is this? What are people doing with it? So it really started there when I actually sat at my desk and I put into Google, what is chewing gum? What, you know, what is gum litter? And I could not find anything in terms of a front-end solution where people were looking at how to change behavior or recycle it. It was all an end solution. So what do we do once it's dropped? How do we clean it up? 
And I think that really is where I think you can call it an obsession started. (laughs) Um, And I thought, actually, there is something in this. And it became my absolute focus and aim and obsession to try and create a moldable material using recycled chewing gum. And I think as well, at that time, when I was researching, I also read that gum was only declared a litter in 2005 in the UK, which I was just, um, I was just amazed at. It's everywhere. You know, I don't think I've ever been anywhere and not seen gum litter on the floor. It's thought to be the second biggest litter globally. And yet nobody was really doing anything with it. So I thought, I'm going to give it a go. <laughs> All right. So there, there's so much more to it than, hey, gum is litter. It's everywhere. And we should do something about it. So let's start at the beginning of the process and talk about actually collecting it and how you infuse design into the, begin- the very beginning stages of, of tackling this problem. So I think originally because in my head, the aim was to create a moldable material using recycled chewing gum. That idea developed into looking at a closed loop solution. And obviously, I need to get it first in order to create the material. So that was almost the eureka moment for the gumdrop bin. And that was very much focused on a closed loop process. So the The initial idea was then to create a bin in order to collect the gum, which could then be recycled to make more bins. It was actually a very natural idea to to come up with in terms of just thinking about a solution of actually how are we going to, how am I going to collect this in the first place? Um, And then actually, if I want to make a material with it, what am I going to do? Well, why don't I just make a bin with the material that I collect? So. It was all, it was quite a natural idea that that came once I started thinking about the logistics of actually how am I going to get this chewing gum in order to to collect it and actually do something with it. In the very, very early days, obviously the gumdrop bin didn't exist. So I came up with um, rather strange ways to try and entice people into giving me their chewing gum. Mm. Um, not only asking every single friend um, who was chewing gum if they could just save it and put it in like a little bag for me or a pot and if I if they could just give it to me when they next saw me, which obviously they thought I was completely mad. Like, oh, but, Anna had such promise, but she's lost her mind. Yeah. Poor thing. <laughs> Pretty much. So I actually made uh, these plaques and drilled holes into the plaques and did sort of a dot-to-dot picture. So the idea was if I could entice the public to put their gum into these holes, it would create a picture and people might be more willing to part with their waste chewing gum. And I actually put these up around town, the the university town that I was was in, Um, obviously not asking permission from any council or anything because I had no idea you had to do that. So they didn't last very long, uh, but I did manage to salvage some chewing gum from some very nice people who decided to part with their with their waste gum. So that was the very initial sort of collection that I method that I used. Um, but the uh, the council quickly sideboshed that as they took them down. Even though now it started at you're from University of Winchester is where is where you went. Is that correct? 
Or is uh, that where you had a pilot program or something like that? Yeah, they they were actually one of the first universities to take up the initiative as a trial and then to move on to actually um, using one of our products, so the Americano mug. So they were the first company or university to actually have the whole process there in terms of collection. And then once the gum's collected, we'll make a product and then give it back to the students. So that was a really great um, trial. And I think um, we had uh, 18 locations there and we actually set, used their gum to create uh, some Americano mugs, uh, which were given out to first year students um, in order to try and save paper cups and their cafes. So I think in the first year that they did it, they saved over 65,000 paper cups. So it was kind of a double-edged sword in terms of savings, which was fantastic. And they actually now are one of our um, most sort of regular customers and we do something with them every year for their first year students. So that's been a brilliant initiative to be involved in. So we're getting too far ahead because I want you to go back now and dig back into your designer brain for a second because this is an audio format so you're going to have to bring the gumdrop collection bins to life for us because the way I see it I, you know as as just a layperson on the outside is I'm looking at these and I'm like they're just they're just big gum bubbles I love it, it it's they're very very well they're they're adorable <laughs> they're non-intrusive they look like they belong in a type of community can you describe actually what what they are what they look like and how they're made Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, really. Um, The idea from a design point of view was to not make them blend in like a lot of other sort of street furniture that you have and to make people question and go up and have a look and say, you know, what is that? And it was an obvious design choice to take the bubblegum bubble, which I imagine so many people as young kids can remember blowing their first bubble, which was just so exciting um, when you first learned to do it. So we wanted to take that idea um, as well as the color as well. Um, So they are literally bubblegum bubble shaped bins, which are bright pink, um, which was the first color that the inventor of chewing gum had available to him in his workshop. And I think that's something that we'd like to say is, is, is very much part of our brand, the pink color, um, as, w- as well as the shape as well. I love it. So now going through the process of expanding beyond the pilot program that you did at the university, approaching councils, what, what's the story? What's the narrative that you tell because I imagine that you have to, in order to generate some, the, enough awareness, this has to be in front of a population that's seeing them consistently, that they're getting it into their minds, and then you get into the habit of depositing your, you know, your used gum there, right? So I imagine that that's a, like a, you have to sell this. You have to sell it to a community. You have to change some behaviors. So there's the messaging that's on the signs, and then the messaging that you're bringing forth to the council. What's that process look like? Absolutely. I, I think when we go in to, to sell the gumdrop bins, it very much is a story. And it's a story of, of innovation. And it's also a story of trying to inspire a public to change behavior, which is really difficult. So the, 
the, the story that it's based on is the fact that it's closed loop. And I think that is really important to us right, right throughout everything we do here at Gumdrop. That's the story that we go with. And the fact that actually they're one of a kind, nobody else is doing this. You know, you, the, the gumdrop bins, you know, they, when they're full, they can come back to us, they get recycled. And that chewing gum goes back into making the bins. And not only the bins, you can also make all sorts of other products. So, you know, with, with councils, we try and look at products that we can bring back in to um, give back to the public or to whoever we're working with that makes sense for them. And I think, again, that's part of the story and that's part of how we try and inspire um, people to dispose of their gum in a different way. The fact that actually if you put your gum in this gumdrop bin, you're not only helping to create a more, a better environment for your community, but actually you're savouring this this material that can be made into all sorts of different products. It's a really exciting concept. I imagine it also inspires conversation because these are these are massive conversation starters if they've all of a sudden these big cool pink looking bins show up around your environment let's say it's a campus or it's a it's a downtown it must spark conversation and must drive people back to your website or maybe to your social media channels to engage with you there has to be a big curiosity factor here absolutely and i think also one of the biggest things that we I don't know why I still find it surprising, but when we talk to our customers or the, the people that are using the gumdrop bins and we say to them, right, can you point out a piece of litter on the floor? They'll never point out a piece of gum litter. I think we're so ingrained to seeing it and we're so used to it being part of our cityscapes and our environments. When we turn around to them and say, well, actually this bin is made with recycled chewing gum. And if you put it in here, we can recycle it and make all sorts of other things. They're like, what? Same, how's that even possible? So I think that conversation is also quite inspiring. And then, you know, they go on and they'll say, God, I, I, you know, met these people today on the street and they said that you can recycle your chewing gum. I mean, that's crazy. Who would want to do that? So it's those kind of conversations which we're hoping will stick with people, excuse the pun, um, and that will help us grow, ultimately. I, I do have a fear that, and now in the UK, I imagine that you actually have good social services and you spend on infrastructure. Here, it's been quite a while in the States, and I have a feeling that our chewing gum is actually holding many of our streets together. So, if you could just pause for a little bit and, and not bring this over to the States, that would be great. So, let's get into the disgusting part. Let's talk about the collection. Because this is a business now. So you have to, somebody has to collect the bins. You have to bring them somewhere. I imagine that, and now again, maybe this is not just somebody from the States talking, but a New Yorker talking. I imagine that there's other things in the bin that need to be separated. So this is still a process, a manufacturing process. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of the front end of the cycle, how you separate the waste from the gum, what the, that process looks like, and then how the bins get redistributed? Yeah, so I, I think as well, it's, it's, again, a part of the design process. One of the things that I was always thinking about was the fact that actually, when we get these bins back, we can't have people touching what's inside. We can't have people emptying these bins because one, like you say, we get all sorts of things in there. Bizarrely, the two two things that we get most of is money and cigarette butts. 
So, money? Yeah, and I think it's because we have really lovely old ladies in the UK who think it's a charity box or something and just drop their pennies off. So I thank them. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, and, and cigarette butts, those are the two two sort of biggest other sort of stray I don't know whether you can call money a litter. I don't think you can. Um, but items we get <laughs> in the bins. So we very quickly had to come up with a way um, of sorting um, the the gum from the litter and also from the gumdrop bin in order to separate those to recycle. So uh, we found a really clever way of doing it, which is air classification. Um, and it's an incredible process to watch. When wh- whoever's collecting the bins, so let's just say we're, we're working with a council, we would have their um, street guys on the ground who would actually collect and um, change the bins over. The full bins would uh, be put into what we call our return and recycle bags. Um, and they hold a certain amount, which then come back to us. And then that goes into a, a, a primary process to get it all into small sort of little chips. Um, and then it goes through a really clever uh, process where if you're watching it, you've got the gum and the gumdrop bin flying off in one direction. You've got all the other stray litters going off in another direction. So it's it's incredible to watch, actually. Um, and that that's is it just is it based on like density and weight? It, it just understands. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So wow. I was amazed when. Um, I first first saw it. I think that's actually been one of the things I've most enjoyed about this journey is just the processes that I've been able to to see um, firsthand um, just through sort of the development process, process if you like, because um, some of the things that are around are just incredible. So let's go back to then the sales pitch as you're going into a community, because there must be a... Th- a hidden benefit from the public, but I think one that you that you talk about that you state on the site, which is you're also reducing the cost of the waste collection from the community's perspective, right? It's a, I, it's it has to be a difficult and expensive process to actually clean something as as sticky and tactile as gum from all these different places. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I I think you know, story aside. Our main aim is to reduce gum litter and to produce a saving for the people that are using those gumdrop bins who would otherwise have to use other um, means of actually removing the gum from from the streets. That really is our aim in the fact that actually if that money is saved, it's better spent elsewhere on communities. And it costs, I don't know about the US, but in the UK, we spend about £60 million a year cleaning up gum litter. Um, and it costs around 30 pence to £1.50 to remove. And it only costs three pence to buy a piece of chewing gum. So it's all, it's 10 times, if not more, to actually remove the gum, which is a huge, huge cost. It really is our aim to, to be saving um, councils or universities or airports uh, money on their cleaning bills through, through the gumdrop bins. Do you think that's the biggest selling point? I mean, the, to them, to them, the product has to work. I think it's depending on who we're pitching to will depend on sort of what the benefits are. Of course, everybody is interested in the money saving, but there are other benefits in terms of the story and the the fact that it's linked to ESG goals. Um, so it really depends on 
um, who the customer is and really what their their aims are for having the gumdrop bins on site. So before we take a break, I, I, I want to go then still back to the beginning because we're going to talk about more of the, the process and the business case uh, after the break. But I want to stay with your design background for a moment because it's almost like the, you're a behavioral science company in certain ways as well. You're influencing behavior. You're changing behavior in these sort of micro communities, in these environments, like a, like you said, like an airport or a community or a university. But I feel like it wouldn't be as successful if the des- if it w- you weren't leading with that type of design. Can you talk about the relationship between design and and behavior, and maybe some other examples that inspired you when you were going through school? And saying like, yes, great design can modify behavior for our benefit. Yeah, I think first off, I pro- I do think of myself as a designer, and I think we have a great responsibility as designers to produce products that, through their form and their use and their interaction with the customer or whoever's going to be using the product, we have a, a responsibility to make sure that that is efficient, it lasts, it has benefits towards the customer plus the environment. So I think there are so many interlinking themes when it comes to designing, problem solving, that it does in some essences, depending on what the product is, and especially I think with the gumdrop bin, it hopefully will lead to behavioral change because there are so many of those different themes interlinking in terms of the design, what we're trying to achieve with that, where the product is, what service is linked with that product. So all of that has been really well thought through and it's something that is constantly changing. We're constantly questioning, how can we do things better? How can we make this better? What consumer from which target audience or from which sector, how are they using this product? Is it right for that? And I think if you're not doing that and you're not questioning, then you're not evolving and you're not, in my case, in Gumdrop's case, working towards that ultimate aim of actually changing a habit. And I think if we can change something as small as dropping a piece of chewing gum on the ground, then actually we have a platform to change much bigger things when it comes to waste and litter in our environment. I love it. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to dig more into the design elements, but also try to understand the business of Anna's business. We'll be right back. Is your company looking to scale? Mori Creative Studios is a Diamond HubSpot partner agency that helps organizations leverage HubSpot's platform to achieve sustainable and predictable growth. From video production and inbound content marketing to sales and customer retention strategies, Mori Creative Studios provides comprehensive digital solutions for your company so you can grow for good. Visit moricreative.com to learn more. Welcome back to Grow for Good, talking to Anna Bullis from Gumdrop. We've covered a lot of ground issues, so we've talked about the model how it started, the design aspects of it, how design influences behavior. So I think we have a pretty good feel for the point, the purpose, and and where this kind of fits into a societal landscape. 
So now let's dig into the business use case a little bit. As broadly and generally as you can, tell us your business model. How is this a business and not simply a public service? So to explain the business model, I have to explain that there are three strands to the business. We've got the gumdrop bin side, which focuses on the collection of post-consumer waste chewing gum, and we sell memberships. We sell memberships to uh, four different sectors, uh, education, retail and leisure, transport and government. And the idea there is that um, they can sign up for um, a contract using the gumdrop bins in order to uh, reduce gum litter and to save them money on cleaning costs with the gumdrop bins. Um, so that's sort of one of the micro, if you like, uh, business models of over the sort of overarching business. Pause. So hang on. You've actually figured out a way to get paid to source <laughs> your raw material? It would seem so. <laughs> I love that. I just want to make sure that I, that didn't escape me. Okay, continue, please. Um, and then we've got um, the second strand, which is what we call GumTech, which is the um, overarching brand name that we've given to the materials that we create from the recycled chewing gum. Here we, we've, we've been given the opportunity really to work with industry. So this focuses on pre-consumer waste, so waste coming from, from uh, factories um, that we work with. And we take that and we cr create all sorts of different uh, compounds for various different uses. And we try and sell that back into the plastics and rubber sector as a more sustainable alternative to the rubbers and plastics that they would already be using. And again, looking at, well, we're focused on two main sectors here, and that's really uh, footwear and apparel and also automotive, three. Um, so that's the second strand. And then the third strand is that we also have a consultancy side because the journey that I've been through, I have learned so much about uh, the various different processes that there are for creating closed loop uh, systems. And just for the processes and systems that I've had to put in place for Gumdrop, I've just gained all this knowledge. And one of the things that's become apparent um, by working with the companies that we work with, with Gumdrop and Gumtech, is that they have all these other waste streams and sometimes they don't know what to do with them. So it's great because it means that um, we can go in and we can say, right, actually, the process that we use for Gumdrop here, you could apply to this waste stream to make it more efficient or to introduce closed loop systems within your business for various different waste streams. So that's the third strand. And that's something that we very recently started, which also gives us an opportunity to not just focus on gum litter, but to focus on all sorts of different waste. And, and again, put sort of the design skills into play, which I absolutely love. So before we go into um, talking about monetizing each, each end of this business, I want to go back into the, the, the second pieces. Sourcing the raw material is working with the providers, the communities that you would partner up with. And then the manufacturing process, you mentioned that you're also collaborating with other factories that have pre-consumer waste, taking their excess waste. Can you go into that a little bit deeper? What, is, what actually does that mean? What kind of factories are you speaking with and, and what are you alleviating 
for them? Yes. So one of the, whilst working on Gumdrop and find, finding out more about the chewing gum industry, one of the things that I quickly realized is that the chewing gum factories themselves that manufacture the chewing gum, they have a huge amount of waste that they generate each year. And that is not being recycled and was going to various different waste outlets that perhaps are not so preferable. And really, it was an opportunity to offer the industry a sort of zero waste to landfill alternative where we could say, well, hang on a second, if you're just going to sort of throw that away, we could take it for you. And we could actually produce a material and we could probably sell it back into this sector in the rubber and plastics industry, which is great because we're working with huge volumes. I mean, tens, even hundreds of of tons of material. Um, So the opportunities to do some really exciting projects in other sectors, which I mentioned, sort of footwear, apparel and automotive, become a reality because whilst the gumdrop bins service themselves, I think we would need one on every single street corner in the world to be able to really service the other projects that we have on at the moment to do something really meaningful with because you need actually quite a lot. We will get there. Um, but uh, we- so, so how do you collect the pre-consumer waste that's coming out of the factories and aggregate all of that with the post-consumer waste that you're sourcing? Like what, what does that actually look like when you get it all together and uh, I guess assembled at your plant? Yes. Yeah, so the, we treat them as two quite separate streams of material because they they come in in very different forms and they have to go through very different processes in order for us to get them to a point where we can actually work with them for the for instance from chewing gum industry we get i mean huge 1 ton bags they they're massive so and we have tens and hundreds of these that we receive every year, which we then uh, process. It's all, it all happens at the same plant, the, the post-consumer and the pre-consumer, but they, they, are very, they come in very different forms, so we can't treat them in the same way. With the gum tech side, with the pre-consumer that we get from, from factories, it might be offcuts or it might be a run that they've done as an experiment that's gone wrong or it's produce that they've had to put to one side because the quality is not there or there are so many different reasons for why they might produce that waste and why they might not be able to put it back into the front end. So that's where where we can come in and offer them a service. Okay. So you're an entrepreneur now. You're a business owner. You are running a production, a sourcing, a production manufacturing facility with retail on the back end. This is not a little experiment on a university campus any longer. It's a business. So what surprised you the most about getting into business? What was the most challenging part of being an entrepreneur that, you know, if you could go back and talk to your younger self getting into this, that you would say, listen, check this out because you're not going to be ready for this. I think if my older self could speak to my younger self, I would have said, nah, I can't be bothered to do this. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm joking. Um, so, I mean, so many things. The fact that everything always takes so much longer than you than you think. 
and nothing ever happens the way you imagine it to happen. That's not a bad thing, but you just have to deal with it. And I think I learn something every single day. Um, I'm still learning. You know, I didn't, I didn't set out to be an entrepreneur or, you know, run a business. It all happened really organically. And I think I've just gone on this journey and I've got these aims that I'm following and I'm just like a dog with a bone and I just go at it every single day and I just think, right, okay, tick, done that. Yes, okay, brilliant. But um, yeah, I think God, if I could speak to my younger self, I'd just say, you know, you've got to have patience. You've got to persevere. You've got to take the rough with the smooth. You've got to take the highs with the lows. There are days when I wake up and I think you are completely mad. What are you doing with your life? <laughs> But then there are days when I when I wake up and I think this is this is amazing. I'm I'm loving every second of the journey, and I think maybe that's what being an entrepreneur is: is that you you're on this crazy journey and you just got to take each day as it comes. So tell us about the output. Tell us about the uh, brag about your product line a little bit. We've t- currently got uh, we've got over uh, a thousand uh, locations across the UK for the gumdrop bins, which is growing all the time, which I'm really proud of. All of our customers are uh, saving more than the actual cost of the contract, which is one of our biggest aims as well. And we're, we're now starting to look at other countries for the gumdrop bins. So we're doing running some trials. We've got in New Zealand, we've done Australia, we've done some parts of uh, Europe. We're desperate to get to the US. So Well, come on over. I, well, yes, please. <laughs> I really would love to. Yeah, I'm hung up on New Zealand. I just have this this feeling that they just don't litter. Yeah. I don't know why I feel that. I haven't been there, no, but I have this not. feeling that they're just better people. <laughs> they're very they're very conscious, aren't they? They have this beautiful scenery, which I think they just keep beautiful. Yeah, we're we're slowly expanding, which is fantastic. And I think we've we have recycled. I mean, tons and tons of waste chewing gum. We're saving over a million pounds in, in uh, cleaning costs across our contracts in the UK, um, and we're just we're continuing to to grow every single day. And I think that's what I'm most proud of, especially during these times as well. That we're we're still here, and as well with the with the products, we've got some really exciting projects coming out this year. I can't talk too much about them, but they're in footwear, and I am so excited. What was the automotive use case you mentioned before? Again, I can't, annoyingly, I can't talk too much about it, but um, we are, we have a pipeline of development projects and uh, we've got, we're looking at some parts of of cars, um, looking at um, car mats or trinkets. You know, when you shut your door and it has that really nice, like, clunk sound. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Um, so the, the padding that's inside the door, um, makes that really nice sound. (laughs) So we're looking at various different applications, some Mm. that are, that you can see, um, some that you can't see, which really aren't sexy at all, but, um, the volumes are there, which is great for us. And also. Does this mean that all of the car door liners from this point forward are going to be pink? Oh, wouldn't that be great? That'd be cool. (laughs) That'd be pretty cool. Um, who knows? That's the aim anyway. <laughs> and then, yeah, footwear and apparel. We've got a lot of 
projects happening in this area. We've got a lot of new products in terms of materials, so Gumtech materials that we've been working on for the last sort of six to 18 months, um, which hopefully should come to fruition. Uh, so Anna, are these your products or are you the supply are you the raw material supplier at that point for other people's product line? Is it a collaboration, a partnership, or will you actually bring your own products to market? Yeah, so um a lot of the time we do have a collection of our, our own products that we sell. So we've got the Americano mug, we do a lot of stationery more sort of promotional products um, that we sell back into the companies that we work with, with the gumdrop bins or to, or to separate um, customers as well. But with the, with the gum tech and the pre-consumer, they tend to be much larger volumes. So we tend to work um, in collaboration with brands that have existing products who want to replace um, either a plastic or a rubber that they've been using with a more sustainable uh, material, which is why they're using Gumtech uh, with the story as well. So that's that's something that uh, we've really started to focus on. And those are some of the projects which we'll launch uh, later this year. So, you know, I think one of the most difficult things with Gumdrop is to try and actually put you in a box, which I don't want to do. Uh, <laughs> that That's not necessary to say uh, Gumdrop is a blank. But when you think about it, are you a... An OEM? Are you in the retail space? Are you a uh, a supplier, a distributor, an environmental company? Like, how do you frame it to people when they say, "Hey, Anna, what do you do for a living?" I think we innovate. That's what I like to think we do, and it's very material based. So, if I was to put Gumdrop in a box, I would say it was innovation of materials using using waste. And we specialize in chewing gum waste. Um. <laughs> do, can you ever, I mean, do you ever sit back and be like, how is this my life? How did I get here? Yes, every day. <laughs> every it's day. so great. It's so great. So uh, as we wrap up, can you tell folks where they can learn more about Gumdrop or if there are communities or universities or airports or hospitals or any sort of constituency out there, how can they get in touch with your company to see if they can create one of these programs? You can obviously go to our website, which is gumdropltd.com. Um, and there's lots of information on there and um, various different access to materials of how you can get involved. Um, I think if you're US-based, we always want to hear from you. If you're interested, email email us because the more emails we get, the quicker we're going to get over there. So definitely get in touch. Um, we've also, we sell our products online. So we've got the gumdrops on the go, which are portable gumdrop bins. And we sell those to everywhere all around the world. So you can definitely get involved by um, using some of our, our products that we sell online. But at the, yeah, at the end of the day, if you want more information, just get in touch because we're always happy to hear from people. All right. And when the uh, the travel restrictions are lifted and if I uh, am lucky enough to fly into Heathrow to go visit my goddaughter over in London, will I see these bins? Absolutely. Yeah, we have them at Heathrow. We have them at Luton. Um, we have an initiative at Gatwick. And then we have some with a lot of smaller ones, but you probably wouldn't fly there. Only fly there if you're sort of flying in between um, or around the UK. So yes, definitely keep your eyes peeled and you might see a pink bubble gumdrop somewhere. 
I will keep my eyes peeled for that. Absolutely. And uh, listeners in the United States, come on, let's get Anna stateside. Let's bring her over. Let's bring Gumdrop here and, and start cleaning things up. Unless it really is holding all of our roads and sidewalks together, which is it is entirely possible. Give us give us a minute to take care of our infrastructure and then we'll call you over. Yeah. Is that okay? If you do that quite quickly, I'd be really, really pleased. Terrific. Anna, thank you so much for uh, giving us your time and your insight today. We appreciate having you on. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. The Grow for Good podcast is produced and distributed by Mori Creative Studios, a diamond HubSpot partner agency that helps organizations leverage HubSpot to achieve sustainable growth. Grow for Good is a registered trademark of Mori Creative Studios. This is a Mori Creative Studios podcast.